It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk to Levon J. Polinelli. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Welcome back, folks. We got an absolute heater for you today. Yes, we do. And like I just said, we will be joined shortly by our guest today, Levon J. Polinelli, the independent filmmaker who is known for his feature film, Everybody Gets Stabbed, as well as his next feature film that he's currently shooting, Emu Wars. We get into all that and much more in the interview, so stay tuned for that on this full-length Friday episode of GDT. Here at GDT, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers. Every Friday, we have our full episode, which you're listening to now, where we have an interview with someone involved in the filmmaking process, usually an independent filmmaker or someone involved in the indie space, but could be someone involved in any part of the filmmaking process. Those episodes release every Friday, and we really love bringing them to you, and we love doing them as well because we get to share a lot of insight with you, and we get to learn a lot ourselves as well. On top of those full episodes, we also have three bonus episodes a week. On Monday, we have our Monday miniseries hosted by Nyatsva, where we discuss Nostalgia, the short film that myself and Kari, other hosts of GDT, are working on creating. If you want to learn more about that, check out the Monday episodes, where we have interviews with the cast and crew of that film. Then on Tuesdays, we have our Marvel Podcasting Universe episodes, hosted by myself, Mac, Jalen, and Chris who's the actual host of those episodes. I'm just a bystander. In those episodes, we go through the MCU movie by movie. We just did Iron Man 2. Well, spoiler alert, that's actually coming out on Saturday this week. So tomorrow you'll get Iron Man 2. But next Tuesday will be Thor, the next film in the MCU. So we're going movie by movie through that. And anytime there's a new MCU film, we'll also be talking about that. So when Thor 4 drops, we'll be doing it that week. And anytime there's any property, DC, Marvel, or anything else, we'll be reviewing those on the Tuesday episodes. So, for example, when The Boys Season 3 finishes, we'll do a recap of Season 3 on that Tuesday episode and postpone the MCU film for the following week. Those are our Tuesday episodes. Then on Thursday, we have another bonus episode where we talk about a new TV show, a new film, something relevant, or we have a guest on to talk about one of their favorite films. Right now, we're talking about the new Disney Plus Star Wars show, Kenobi, which is up to episode three that dropped on Wednesday. Our recap of that dropped on Thursday of this week. So check that out. That was yesterday that it came out, part three with a special guest, Jeff. And then next week, we'll be discussing part four. Once the Kenobi series is over, we'll pick another topic. Like I said, something relevant. But for now, the next three weeks, it'll be Kenobi. Those are our four weekly episodes. And on top of that, we have a Sunday Movie Squad episode that releases on the first Sunday of every month. So this Sunday, we have the first Sunday of this month. That means we will be joined by myself, Kari, John, and Stevie P to discuss Top Gun Maverick in that Sunday Movie Squad episode. So check that out on Sunday. And like I said earlier, check out Saturday, our review of Iron Man 2. So you have 
two weekend episodes this week, but don't get used to that. Usually there's no weekend episodes. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday is our usual schedule. That's what we do here on GDT. So get ready for all those future episodes and check out our back catalog of past episodes as well. And now it's time to get into our discussion with Levon J. Polinelli. We discussed already at the beginning how good this interview really was and how insightful it was. So there's no point in us talking about it any further. We're just going to let you guys be the judge of it and decide how much you appreciate it. So real quick, no spoiler warning for this episode. We didn't spoil any of his films, so you're allowed to go in blind. But we really do recommend you guys checking out. Right now, everybody gets stabs. But in the future, Emu War, when that gets released. We'll keep you updated on that. Don't worry about it. As soon as that's released, we'll be letting you know about it. So no worries there. But for now, I would check out Everybody Gets Stabbed. You can listen to the interview first, but the interview will definitely make you want to watch the film. It's available on Amazon, and the link to watch it is in the description of this podcast. So that's your non-spoiler warning. You're allowed to go in blind to this interview. But here it is, without further ado, right now, our interview with Levon J. Polinelli. We are joined now by a very special guest. Levon J. Polinelli, the independent filmmaker, is here with us today to talk about his work. Levon? Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're super excited to have you here. I already told you before we started recording that we're fans of your work, but we'll absolutely get into that as the interview goes on. That's, uh, yeah, no, that's amazing to hear because, yeah, you kind of, especially after the last two years living in a complete and utter bubble of not seeing other human beings, it's kind of nice to know, hey, something I made worked. So, definitely. And, we're, like I said, excited to talk about all of your work, what's coming up next, what you've done in the past. And I wanted to let our audience know, who maybe aren't familiar with your work yet, that Levon is known for his feature film, Everybody Gets Stabbed, which is available to watch on Amazon Prime and was released in 2020. And Levon, you've done some other work prior to that as well. You also are currently working on filming your next feature film, Emu War, which we'll definitely be getting into in this interview. <laughs> and which also has a Kickstarter up online that people can donate to and support you in that aspect. And that link will be in the podcast description. It'll be when we tweet this out, it'll be there. So listeners, you can't miss it. We'll be sharing that for you guys and definitely check out all the different tiers because there's some goodies that you can also get <laughs> if you if you are nice enough to donate, you will be rewarded by some pretty cool stuff that Levon has been cool enough to share with the people who are backing him. So. First of all, how did I do on that background? I know I did a little bit of rambling at the end there, but how did, how did I do? No, that's uh, that's pretty much my level of r rambling as well. So, you know, it's good we're on the same level there. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, I think that covers most of it. So. Awesome. I do want to, because I don't want to sell you short, and I know that you're obviously the creative behind these films, but... You wear a lot of hats. So can you tell our yeah. audience before we get into like, I'm going to get into like your whole background on filmmaking. That's going to be one of our first questions, but I wanted to know exactly what different parts of the filmmaking process are you hands-on doing? Like editing, directing, writing, how many different hats do you wear? Yeah, uh, a lot of them, you know, directing, producing, writing, editing. And, you know, I mean, there were days on Everybody Get Stabbed where I was the sole crew member. So just sound, lights, camera, and everything else at the same time, and and 
you know, finding props and bits and pieces all around. So it's, yeah, kind of just the, the, the jobs all blur together into just whatever needs to get done to make the thing happen is pretty much where I sit. So, And Gardner, I'll let you jump in in a second. I just want to make a note for our audience. And also, I didn't necessarily let you know this, Levon, but we're going to let this interview be a spoiler-free interview for specifically Everybody Gets Stabbed. Because I think that there is going to be a portion of our audience who are hearing about it right now during this interview because we can get into the whole Americans not really getting the opportunity to like see a lot of foreign films and not even seeking it themselves anyway if it is given to them. But whatever, that's a whole rabbit hole that we can maybe discuss later on. (laughs) But the point is that there's probably going to be a lot of people who are being introduced to this film right now and after this interview i'm sure they're going to want to check it out so i don't want to spoil the ending or too much about it we'll obviously get into some aspects of it but whatever you're comfortable sharing with an audience who maybe hasn't seen it yet and who are trying to convince to see it basically so just a little note before we get into it no that's good that's good so we covered uh the hats that you wear and the projects you're working on now can you from your own mouth because we kind of gave the uh the overview can you tell us a little bit about your background in filmmaking, how you got started making movies, where that passion came from? Yeah, I mean, it was always there. I think just as even as a young child, like whenever I went to someone's house and they had a video camera, I'd kind of just run away with that and play with it. So there's probably, you know, a bunch of landfill of um, VHS tapes with just random things I made (laughs) rotting away out there somewhere. Yeah, and then when I was in high school, I made a insanely ambitious feature film called The Wheelchair Warriors, which was about three old people who, during the day, live in their retirement home, which I shot in a prison. And um, at night, they put, like, guns and armor on their wheelchairs and go out and fight crime. And uh, we shot, I mean, there was a jet ski chase. There was shootouts with pyrotechnics and all this kind of stuff that, you know, as a 15 year old, I was like, this is cool. As uh, someone with an insurance policy currently is utterly terrified by what I was doing back then. But <laughs> Yeah. And from there, I kind of learned a lot just doing everything on that as well. And um, made a TV pilot when I was 19 for a kid show. And then just kind of kept plugging away at things and kind of got stuck in the cycle of, uh, trying to raise money and and not quite getting there and just that until you know you just get to a point where you go screw it I'm just going to make something what what was your um kids show like that's interesting because you know watching everybody get stabbed (laughs) knowing about emu where it's like oh you made a kid's show okay I'm curious about that yeah yeah it was um it was called dreamscape and the, the kind of idea was that there were these six kids who started having weird dreams and kind of had to come together as a group and um some aliens had crashed on an island or something and and they were sending out these telepathic dreams for the kids to kind of help them so yeah very very different to pretty much all the other weird stuff i've done but so before we do get into the past a little bit because you've just kind of mapped out your journey a little bit for us and our audience which we'll get into some of the specifics of it if that's okay in a little bit i do want to i think we don't want to bury the lead because right now what you're working on i think is really exciting because you're literally filming it right now yeah and you're in the process you've got your kickstarter going i think it's got two weeks left in it so this episode will be releasing friday 
June 3rd. So we're recording this one day beforehand. (laughs) So it is, that's American time, I should say. Yeah. So I guess it'll probably be releasing on the 4th for our Australian listeners. Yeah. And depending on, I guess, what time of the day I I do release it. But whatever. (laughs) That's not for any of our listeners to worry about. When it gets to you, it'll get to you. If you're in America, it'll be on the 3rd. And if you are in Australia, it'll be on the 4th for sure, at least. So two weeks to go. Yep. You got to preserve the mystery of editing and audio editing and keep some mystery there. <laughs> I know, right? I know, I know. I'm giving too much of the secrets here, right? I know. I'm giving too much behind the scenes uh, details for our audience, but uh, <laughs> a little sneak peek for what's coming up. But the point of that is that there's still 14 days or maybe 13 days left to help out and to, like I've said on Twitter, get in on the ground floor of something really special and get some cool ass merch. So can you. Before we go any further, tell our audience a little bit about Emu War and the Kickstarter and just, you know, what got you interested in making that project? Yeah, well, well, it's a real event that happened in, in 1932 that it's so stupid. And I've kind of been obsessed with it for a while. Basically, when the World War I ended, we had all these returning soldiers and we gave them all this farmland to just, you know, Thank you for your service, boys. Uh, Deal with that PTSD. And um, we basically created what's called now the wheat belt, which is where we grow all our wheat. And um, obviously, that was basically just putting an enormous buffet out to uh, the animal population. And obviously, everything exploded. And, you know, there were just thousands and thousands of emus around. And they called in the army thinking they'll just roll up and mow them down and problem solved. And... uh, we didn't hit any and they they failed and then they went out again with machine guns and failed again and it's the only war australian has lost so far and i was just always fascinated by it i wasn't sure whether it is it a movie is it a play is it a musical like what 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 should i do with it and in late 2019 we had some absolutely horrific bushfires here on the um east coast like i'm on the West Coast, but they were just utterly, utterly devastating. And, you know, it kind of got me thinking that, like, um, you know, we've had a native population living here for 80,000 years, and we're still not listening to them as to how to manage the land. And, and you know, they might know a little bit more than the people who've been here for 200 years. But uh, I kind of realized that colonial hubris kind of fits in with the emu war thing. And that's when it all clicked. So like I wrote the first draft of the script in about a week and yeah, and just got to a point late last year where I kind of went, you know, the script was in a place I really liked it. I wasn't sure what to do with it. And then they announced a version with John Cleese written by Rob Schneider. And I I, I allowed myself a couple of hours of deep depression Um, and then pretty much just went, you know what, if you guys are shooting in May, fuck you, I'll start in April. And yeah, and I don't think theirs is going ahead. Like it, it's kind of seems to have disappeared and the cast are all doing tours, comedy tours around not here. So I think I might've won that war, but um, yeah. So it's, it's entirely motivated out of spite uh, so, <laughs> um, just to get in there first. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a film about this young uh, soldier who all his life wanted to join the military because his father fought in World War One and never came back. And, you know, the day of his 18th birthday signs up and, you know, there's, there was this amazing attitude uh, pre-World War Two of World War One just being this thing that will never happen again because that, 
that was really crazy. Let's all calm down. That's not going to happen again. So it's, yeah, this interesting period of just like, what do you do as an army? And so Reginald kind of finally gets what he wants and signs up and it's really boring, but he makes some good friends. And uh, then they get shipped off to take out some emus and uh, it does not go well. It does not go well for our boys. The, uh, we filmed part of that the other night which was some of my favorite stuff to film, which is running around the bush, squirting blood on people. So yeah, and then it, it kind of shifts into another story of Reginald kind of going out into the bush to find his lost friend and having to reckon with his own kind of colonial views and, you know, and is really kind of challenged by, you know, who he meets out there and, and kind of learns just kind of all that stuff you grow up with hearing maybe isn't true. And uh, you got to find the truth yourself. I love that you brought up the video that you posted on Twitter of you <laughs> doing that and spurting the blood, for example. I know you said that you like to do that hands on. I actually have a specific question relating to everybody gets stabbed later on mm -hmm. that we'll get to that refers directly to that video and what you were just referencing. So a little tease for the audience. We will get to that. I did want to say that I'm glad you brought up the idea behind the, I guess, subtitle of the film, which is a subtle mm. examination of the sheer caucasity of colonial colonialism. Sorry, I have a lot of trouble pronouncing words sometimes. There's certain ones yep. that just get me, and I guess that's one of them yep. I just found out. So colonialism. Yep. Um, but seriously, I do like that you went into that, and I definitely want to um, examine that in a little bit and definitely... I'm excited to see where the movie takes that as well. Mm. And I think it's very interesting that that kind of was the spark in your writing process where you're like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. As well as, you know, the kick in the butt from John Cleese and company and Rob <laughs> Schneider, which was, I knew John Cleese was attached and did not know Rob Schneider wrote it. That is yeah. definitely, I saw Gardner's reaction to it when you said that. I think that was the Rob Schneider writing <laughs> that you were reacting to. Yeah, I was like, Rob, Sch I was like, hmm, I wonder why they're not moving ahead with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you looked and, at that guy's Twitter lately? Yeah. And, and it's that funny thing. It actually fits into the point that I was trying to make, which is what my realization was, was like the hubris of colonialism of like kind of coming in here and telling our story. Like, come on. It's totally <laughs> it happened here. And as a satirist, I feel like this event in particular is just so ripe uh, for satire. It's like, I remember um, even before Duncan told me about this project and we were going to have you on the show, like I was just maybe like two weeks before I was hanging out with some friends. We were just shooting the shit. I was like, you guys know about the emu war? They're like, what? And I was like, the emu war in Australia. They lost to the emus. They're like, what? No, what are you talking about? And I pulled up the Wikipedia article and everything and they still didn't believe me that it was real. They're like, this cannot be real. So when I heard you were doing this project, I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah it's 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 a wild one because i mean even yeah even like some of my cast were kind of like wait this this thing happened <laughs> like i'm like well not not the way i wrote it but yeah it did um, yeah it's because yeah it's it's also just the perfect real event to spin off from because what actually happened isn't actually really interesting like it's just a couple of guys went out in a truck and tried to shoot some birds and that's not dramatically interesting in any way. So it's a, makes it perfect to just go, okay, well, let's put larger thematics on it and spin out a story and really get some heart into it and, and uh, also just do a bunch of really dumb shit that entertains me. So, And you brought up, obviously, we were talking about the colonialism of it and the caucasity of the colonialism around that. And you brought up the indigenous people of Australia and obviously America has its own history, very similar, not obviously a one-to-one -one comparison, but similar atrocities have been 
committed in America. And I don't want to say that I know as much about Australian history, so I don't want to misspeak at all. But I have learned from our previous guests that obviously similar things are occurring still to this day in Australia yeah. when it comes to Indigenous people. And I think that's a good jumping off point if, you know, talk, you can definitely speak on that yeah. for a little bit as well. But I wanted to also ask if there are other, because here on GDT, we, you know, topics of race, sexuality, all that kind of stuff. We're very interested in having people on who are more knowledgeable about them than us because mm. we don't have the most knowledgeable point of view at points. But there are points um, of view that we find very important and they're topics that are very important. You know, I think our listeners know at this point that we're very supportive of like any marginalized community, basically. So yeah. like the LGBTQ community, the indigenous people, you know, other people that are minorities that are mistreated in America, for example, specifically, I know yeah. I can speak on, for example, I, I've read and seen it in my life. I've seen it happen. So yeah. again, Gardner and I as the hosts, two straight white guys who don't have that point of view on a lot of topics, but we do like to have guests on who can give us knowledge and give our audience knowledge. So I was wondering if there's any causes and, you know, you had already talked on the colonialism and the indigenous people of Australia. So if you would like to educate our audience on anything that's, you know, like that, that's important to you, I think this would be a great time. And, you know, if you want to relate it to emu art, that would be, even yeah. better, you know, but you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I mean, a lot of it definitely came from uh, my girlfriend of 10 years because she's she originally worked at a uh, law firm that represents indigenous tribes with like native title claims to try and say, no, this is our land, fuck off, especially with all the mining and stuff that happens. So, you know, she would be the legal representative in these arbitration cases and all these things. So like learning a lot through her because she would have to go out to country and also like convince them that she actually cares and is going to fight for them. So like, yeah, it's been a real kind of learning experience for me being with her and just getting to know this stuff even more so than I already did. Yeah. And yeah, you just kind of get to the point. You just, all you see is bullshit around it. Like, you know, just tokenistic gestures of actually caring from, you know, politicians and, and people in power and stuff. And, and it's just tiring. Like, and, and I mean, I'm not even in that community and you know, I haven't faced what they've had to face. Like we, you know, we had what's referred to as the stolen generation where children were just literally stolen from their parents and, and forced to live in white communities and be taught the white way to do things. And, you know, and it's just heartbreaking to think about that. Like there was a, a really fascinating play right before the pandemic hit. They did Macbeth in indigenous Noongar tribal language which was amazingly powerful. And, you know, I, I remember going on one of the Q&A nights and some of the actors were talking about how, you know, they had to do, they had to learn their own language because they weren't allowed to learn it when they were kids. And, you know, that, that struck me as just, Jesus Christ, that is horrible. And yeah, and so I was always like writing this and, and putting in Indigenous things. I was very kind of aware that I am not this and you know and I've always prefaced it with when kind of work you know giving it to you know indigenous people to read and stuff by saying like you know I'm a white guy and I, I'm gonna get stuff wrong like you know I've done my best to research stuff and do what I can to to be accurate but you know anything wrong is not out of malice it's just I couldn't find it on the internet or, or find someone to ask at the time so yeah, it's very conscious of just getting this stuff right and being authentic. But yeah, 
there's, there's a lot of wonderful causes here. I'll dig up a few of them. I can't, I can't think of them at, off the top of my head, but um, yeah, there's a lot of wonderful places like fighting for against debt. You know, we've got a lot of deaths in custody that happen that just shouldn't. And, you know, a lot of horrible court cases, like we had a court case where a police officer shot an Indigenous guy and actually got charged for murder, which was great. But then, of course, was found not guilty. So it's like, uh, of course. But yeah, I'll, I'll dig up some causes if anyone's interested and can post them. Yeah, we'll definitely be happy to both repost them. And if I, I don't want to give you a time crunch but obviously if i have them in time for the release of the podcast i'd be happy to put them in the podcast description as well because i think that people that listen to this podcast are if they weren't already privy to australian information in general Mm. and cinema and then you know stuff like this and political issues as well they're at least getting interested in that based on all the interesting guests that we've had yourself included and you know obviously we're only getting just into the interview now we're not even yeah i hope i know there's even more that you're gonna um bless our our audience with so we're excited (laughs) to continue with it but i just am happy to share that with our audience and i know that they're happy to accept that more knowledge Mm. you know in any way possible so and to help out in any way that they can so thank you yeah and talking about your writing process you said that you would show the script to um indigenous people and kind of get their read on it um give you corrections for things you might have gotten incorrect can you tell us a little bit more about that process and maybe if there's anybody who helped you out a lot that you want to shout out uh something like that yeah yeah um yeah because i kind of work from like obviously you know just because my partner Alyssa, she knows so much about this she's kind of my first point of call whenever i'm like hey what i need something like this to happen is there anything you know about in tribal law or whatever that could fit what i need story-wise to happen and you know she's definitely got a lot of people she knows as well um, from her work years ago in that field so yeah there's a and we've got a few elders that we can talk to that I can talk to and I'm talking to an actor at the moment about coming on board and we're kind of going through the process of like okay what did I get right here what would happen here what would you be wearing? <laughs> like all those simple things and and just kind of, yeah. But uh, I, I think just my main approach is just being honest with a, I'm going to get stuff wrong and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong and we'll make it right. Because that's, I mean, that's how I like to work with everything, but especially with something like this, you know, you want to be culturally sensitive and not be the white guy pretending, you know, everything about a culture that's not yours. And I don't want to pivot away from such an important topic that we're Mm. discussing right now without just taking one last chance to acknowledge that, again, it's important and we appreciate, at least here on GDT, I don't like to speak for Gardner, I always say this, but I know that he values stuff like that. So I know that we all appreciate it here on GDT and our listeners as well, filmmakers caring about that kind of stuff and you taking Mm. the time not only to include it in your story and have it be a spark for the story, which is great, but then taking the time to make sure you get it as right as possible, acknowledge mistakes that you're going to make along the way and get eyes on it that can help you out and who will, you know, make sure that it is representation in the right way. So, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, it's it's, it's good. It's, it's It's what you want filmmakers to do and it's what yeah filmmakers are in 2022 doing more of which is a good design but in hollywood and then in the independent filmmaking space as well we can always do better so just an acknowledgement to the fans i think or to the listeners i should say 
yeah and that's it like the last the last thing you want is you know the, the memoirs of a geisha thing where it was you know ah they're all asian who cares and it's like well this person's chinese this person is you know, yeah you don't want that so now i will ask another question that is not as heavy not as important but something i want to ask as well but again i hope our listeners enjoyed that segment where we did delve into what we again like to talk about on gdt and important stuff that people should care about so i will ask now my less important question which is (laughs) you've referenced this as kind of your evil dead of films on Twitter, you've said that it's been a little bit maybe of an influence or maybe just the style that you're creating it is similar to Sam Raimi. So I'm not sure exactly what you meant by that. I read it as like, this is, you know, it's a satire a little bit. It's bloody. I've seen in some of the behind the scenes stuff you've mentioned that. So I'd love to hear what you mean by that. And if there are other filmmakers slash films that have influenced you on this film in particular, because I do have a question later on about yeah other films. Yeah, it, it, like I was definitely looking at things like, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark you know I mean that's a just a textbook kind of example of how to make an action movie but yeah I kind of had the realization of Evil Dead 2 on a re you know I was re-watching it a couple of months ago and just kind of went yeah this was in the back of my head all along as to how I was going to do you know emus tearing people apart like it was there in the back of my head re-watching it just made me go yep yeah, just say it because that's what it is just the over-the-topness because I yeah I find just something ridiculously funny about over-the-top blood and gore and just spraying people with everything I think um, I don't know that just makes me laugh so I don't know if you're trying to jump into uh everybody gets stabbed Duncan but that, that'd be a good segue because there's that great <laughs> moment with the the intestine explodes <laughs> <laughs> well first of all who all gets stabbed everybody everybody okay everybody yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so talking about everybody gets stabbed something that i found really interesting in the opening of the movie is this almost never saw the light of day yeah can you talk a little bit about that for for the members of our audience that haven't seen the film yet haven't seen that uh i don't know if you call it a disclaimer or a, <laughs> like what a yeah, it felt like something I, I wanted to put up there because basically, yeah, what happened was it was January 2020. I kind of call it a harbinger of things to come. And uh, <laughs> I was directing a magic show in our Fringe Festival here. And I, like, I, I was rushing in to film the last night of the show. And, uh, you know, it was like middle of our summer. So it was like 100 degrees. And I'm like, I, I can't carry everything. So I'm just going to leave my laptop pack in the car, which is the only time I've ever done it. And uh, someone stole it. They weren't seen on it, like none of the like this was a, a proper car park with security cameras everywhere they didn't get a, the guy's face at all so he knew what he was doing and yeah so i was basically like that's everything gone like you know i don't have a movie anymore all of the stress and of trying to do that was just for nothing and yeah i managed to find like a near final cut i'd uploaded to youtube and you know the pandemic kind of hit and i found this this crazy software that uh it's free but it's never like like a trial version but it's never like ask me for money but it it uses an ai to upscale uh footage so i managed to upscale the 1080p youtube version to 4k and i was like oh yeah that's that's cool 
then what do I do with this though? Because also the problem with the YouTube version is that like it just smushes everything into a stereo soundtrack. So there is not a lot of wiggle room to fix things that weren't right. And yeah, I, I was kind of tweaking the sound myself, seeing what I could do with it, but still kind of not sure what to do with it. And I spoke to my composer who, you know, asked an audio engineer friend of his who was luckily in between projects and had some downtime and said, I'll have a look. And he managed to pull a I don't know how a surround sound mix out of it and then open it up at a, it got into a festival here and had its premiere and then out of nowhere a sales agent emails me and says hey have you got anything and I'm like I got this thing and um yeah within a couple of weeks it was like worldwide distribution on it so yeah for something that didn't exist at the beginning of the pandemic the fact that you can watch it on prime now is insane and I felt I needed to put a little disclaimer at the beginning just to I mean, that there's little technical things I see that no one else will ever, ever notice, but, you know, always make me cringe inside when they crop up because I can't fix it. So I felt like it needed at least some acknowledgement of, hey, give it a little slack, guys. Like, <laughs> there might be some rough stuff, but, you know, yeah. I was going to say, you took the words right out of my mouth that that <laughs> disclaimer does feel more like it's for you than for anyone else because... Honestly, and that's just meant as praise because you don't notice anything when you're watching it, I don't think. Mm. It just seems like the film. Yeah. And we'll get into some of the specifics of the film. I did let everyone know that this is going to be a non-spoiler discussion of <laughs> everybody gets stabbed. We do want our audience to check it out after this interview if they haven't already checked it out. And then when Emu War comes out, we'd love to potentially, if this goes well, I don't want to hook you on too much leon right now but have you back on and then maybe we'll discuss For some sure. spoilers then once our audience has gotten the chance to watch everybody get stabbed because like you said it has gotten that release worldwide which is very cool and it's awesome that gardner and i were able to get it on amazon prime i am still waiting on my physical copy of it but you can also get the physical <laughs> copy if you are a physical media collector to our audience but very cool that it does that but the sad part is for American audiences, and I think foreign audiences in general, is that if the movie is not made in your country, a mm. lot of times it's hard to have it get to you in a way where it's not being advertised a lot of times, so you have to find it yeah. yourself. And then people in, and I'll speak for Americans, I don't really know other countries, but I do know that in general it is hard for people to, to come across foreign films a lot of times, unless they're like a mm. Hollywood film, for example, which do get that foreign distribution. But I'll say for America, a lot of Americans aren't even pursuing it. So even if it's not being given to them, like on a silver platter, which is the industry's fault, we'll say, mm -hmm. it's also a little bit on the viewers themselves because they're not looking for it. Yeah. And they're not even looking for a lot of times the independent American films. So it's hard for indie filmmakers in general, but even the big Australian or other country filmmakers have trouble sometimes getting that worldwide recognition. And I've heard about the Australian filmmakers having trouble even in Australia because the American yeah. films dominate the box office. So I'm going on a little bit of a tangent there, but I, I know we've had a lot of our guests discuss that and lament it to some degree mm. about how difficult it is. So I was just wondering, you know, once you get this call, I mean, that's got to be a little bit of a godsend, you know, because like you said, it's kind of perfect timing. You've got this film now and yeah. it all works out and it's getting this distribution. Can you talk a little bit about that process and maybe what you've learned from that and what you could tell other filmmakers who are looking to get some of that distribution and get more eyes on their films. Maybe you have some insight. 
Yeah, it's definitely tricky because, I mean, you do hit a point of, you know, you can push it so much and, and you know, you can do what you can and the distributors will do what they can and, and kind of um, send out review copies to people and things like that. But, you know, there is just so much stuff that comes out. Like I saw a list the other day of every movie and TV show and video game coming out in June. And I think I got to like the 18th and just went, Jesus Christ, like... <laughs> I couldn't watch all of this in a year. This is in a month. So yeah, like just cutting through that is impossible. And then, you know, you've just got the, the Marvel juggernaut every two or three months where it's like their marketing budget is more than the film they make. So yeah, they just, it's it's really just, I think it just finding people who enjoy it. Like if, if someone does pick up on it and like it and, you know, hopefully they share it and give it a little bit of a shout out because it really kind of comes down to word of mouth, I think, on these things. Like, you know, and I think also with distribution on these things, you know, definitely set your expectations low with how much you're going to make off of it. Like just treat it as anything's a bonus <laughs> more than I'm going to be a millionaire off this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, because again, it's hard to cut through. And um, if you're only, yeah, you're only getting a cut of that, it's, it's tricky. It's really hard, but that's why I kind of, like I said, just treat it as a bonus, what you do get. And obviously um, post-production was a big challenge with having to pull <laughs> a YouTube rip copy and then distribution is its own challenge. What were some of the challenges in the production side? Like you said, there were times when you were the only crew yeah. on set. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other hurdles that you had to overcome to get this made? Yeah, like it's it's interesting that, you know, because we didn't shoot it. We kind of shot it in about, I think, 12-ish days over about a three-month period, which was actually kind of good because I could edit as I was going and, um, you know, rewrite things and, you know, play around with different ideas and, and find more interesting ways to do things because ultimately so much of a movie is just two people sitting down talking to each other and you know that for 90 minutes can kind of get boring so you know the original draft of the script just had a lot of scenes happening in a local bar or something and having that time in between made me think oh well what if what if we do it here do it somewhere else interesting and and there was one one thing that was quite funny was there was a birthday party scene which was meant to be a sad birthday and an actress couldn't be there. And so I wrote a throwaway line in there as to why she wasn't there, that, you know, she was trying to work out who was behind all these murders. And that led to me, you know, when there's a scene with her later on, kind of going, well, let's give her the room where she's trying to work all this stuff out. Like, rather than just talking at a cafe, let's actually make the room interesting. And that would never have happened if she hadn't have been there well she had have been available the day we were shooting so yeah it, it was kind of a lot of stress in just the juggling of everyone's schedules which is just what happens i think the house we shot the opening scene in which was one of the last things we shot that was the third house we had lined up in the space of two days because they just kept falling through uh <laughs> So it kind of got to the point of just, I don't care, any house, anyone who will let us be in there, I don't care. So yeah, there's all that kind of fun with uh, making these kind of things because you got no money to give to anyone. I think, you know, we spent about 
$1,500 making the movie. And I think half of that went on an Airbnb that we hired for the house at the end of the film. Because <laughs> that was just the, I, I'd kind of just figured if we hire an Airbnb, I can just sleep there after we finish shooting. <laughs> which is a very valuable lesson for indie filmmakers. Hire Airbnbs because you can just sleep there. (laughs) (laughs) You actually, you touched on a question that I had next, which was a little bit of a two-part question, but I wanted to ask about the sets and how you got the locations. I was wondering if potentially it was your own house or something like that, but you've kind of touched on that and some of the difficulties or creative inspiration that came on that route and how you came about some of those choices. So you've already touched on that, but the second part of that question was how you cast the film, because I was just kind of like I always am with independent films and I shouldn't be at this point, but there's so many great actors there must be because yeah. I it's, it, I'm always shocked by, you would expect there to be a lower quality of acting, I think in an independent mm. film. And that's not meant as a diss to the filmmakers like yourself or the actors in general. It's just, you would expect them to be, I don't know, a famous person if they're that good of an actor, yeah. for example. And it's dumb brain thinking. It's myself not learning after watching a million indie films that these guys are good at it. But the acting, like the, it has been in many of the independent films that I've watched, really blew me away. It was oh, phenomenal, I thought, and really stood out as something that could detract from it. You know what I mean? That could mm. be something that makes it stick out, I think, as not necessarily feeling like an independent film, but feeling cheaper. You might feel the budget in that sense yeah. in ways that you don't in other aspects. Like, I think you really do hide that, like, 1500 is insane. And just for our American listeners, that's Australian dollars. So it's even cheaper in American dollars. Yeah, it's probably like so. $20 or something. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it is, it's, a, it's a little bit cheaper. It's, it's not, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty comparable, but I, yeah. uh, I've done some research on after purchasing some Australian goods you know the exchange rate so i do know it's a little bit a little bit less expensive which is even more impressive because i mean people shoot short films for way more than that yeah so impressive that what you were able to do with the budget gardner did the math for us it is one thousand eighty two dollars and ninety three cents so yeah even cheaper with american dollars so if you're calculating that as an american just think about that that's how gifted of a (laughs) filmmaker levon is and what he was able to do with that budget once you watch the film if you haven't already you'll be even more blown away knowing that fact but my question was how were you able to find these actors and then i guess you know we'll make it a two-part question anyway and how were you able to do such a great job with such a small budget yeah well um the two leads i'd worked with before and known them for quite a few years they're very good improvisers and they went to high school together so they've known each other for years and i made a pilot with them and yeah and i kind of that's where the idea of i should make these two guys murderers kind of came from and like so with them it was kind of great because pretty much don't have to do anything as a director which is you know part of you know I mean if you cast a film right you know two-thirds of your job's done as a director and some people I'd worked with before like I'd done a few theater plays and so pulled a few of the cast from that in I had a friend of mine who at the time was working at a casting agent and um, he was about to leave. So he kind of worked as my casting director and uh, I set them self tapes. The self tape challenge was to take your phone and improvise you hiding from a murderer in your house. So I figured if they can do that well and convincingly and, you know, pull it off, that's good enough for me. (laughs) 
you can do this because the original plan was to pretty much i was going to like structure all the scenes out but the original plan was to kind of improvise the way through it but some of the actors were more comfortable with dialogue so i was kind of writing the dialogue scenes the night before we shot them because i knew what the beats were i knew where the scene needed to go it was really just filling in the words so yeah it was a uh, an interesting process but you know when you kind of get a group of really good people especially if you've worked with some of them before you know what you can and can't do with them and what you can throw at them and you know just sometimes just get out of the way and let them do what they're doing i have to bring this up it's something i bring up i think probably once every three interviews if not more <laughs> often than that but it's one of my favorite movies of all time we got the chance to interview the creator of the film coherence have you seen it no okay you should check it out it's okay. very similar in what you're saying here the filmmaker jim burkett wrote and directed it held the camera certain days it was shot over a course of one week at his house at night wow. dinner party it's super low budget not as low budget as yours but i think <laughs> it's comparable something that a lot of people couldn't do on such a low budget and i'm not going to say what the plot's about it's just it's worth watching i would say so okay. i don't want to spoil I'll it for it. you i would definitely recommend it but it was also unscripted and so oh. he knew where the story had to go and when you watch it you'll be like holy shit because it goes mm. to places where it's like this had to have been scripted right and i've talked about it at length about how like they improv things that are thematically relevant and like i think he used the right cuts and stuff like that and i'm similarly impressed that there was i didn't know that there was improv in this i was assuming that this was all scripted as well and we do have some questions about the writing process and some of the comedy as well that we'll get into but i just wanted to ask if you had seen coherence if you knew the story behind coherence i'm definitely oh, recommending um, it to you and my audience because it's very similar in both how it was created and my love for it yeah i'm definitely gonna put that on the list and check that out what does your script look like you know because i always write dialogue yeah you know so it, it's interesting to hear about you, you know what is your writing process like and did you do the same thing for emu war yeah, my writing process is I bullet point everything out. Um, I just try and get the structure, like I'm a real structure kind of writer. So I, I just bullet point everything out, try and get as detailed as my mind can make it at that point in time. And yeah, you, you just kind of feel like you hit a point where you go, okay, I think this is ready. Like, I think, I think everything matches up to where it needs to be. And then my trick for writing is I'll go to the local library and I'll sit down and I'll say, look, you've got to write these three scenes or 10 pages and you're allowed to like fuck around on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever. You can do all that, but you are not physically leaving here until you hit, hit those 10 pages or those scenes. So I find if I do that like two or three times a week, I can have a script knocked out very quickly. And I prefer to kind of just forge ahead to the end and then go back and edit. Otherwise you just get stuck. Just keep that train moving. But yeah, so it, it, the script for Stabbed initially looked a bunch of bullet points. Like I did have some dialogue written in there where I, I was like, I know what I want them to say here. But then as some actors just needed dialogue for their own process. So it did get fleshed out to a full, you know, 80 odd pages, but with a lot of looseness to it. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be, I know the lines I need to be precious about. And then there are other ones where you're like, hey, that, that's, that's good enough. <laughs> and was it a similar process on Emu War as well? Is there a lot of improvisation on set there? 
not as much like there's a bit with one of my actors a guy who's i kid you not his legal name is magnus danger magnus that fucking rules <laughs> that's gotta be the coolest guy ever yeah he does a lot of um like he's an mc and and does a lot of hosting stuff and does a lot of children's like science shows and he's really into that side of things but also just he can literally say danger is my middle name because it legally is but he and i've known each other for years and by uh, Alyssa, my girlfriend says you know that's the real love affair of the past 10 years is him and me I give him a lot of leeway because I just know he's he's just this this ball of ridiculousness that the only thing I ever need to do is rein him in a little because he'll just go zero to a hundred in a second. So it's really just moderating him down. But he's also very good with learning his dialogue and knows when he's allowed to mess around and when not and what's important plot wise and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, so there, there is some improv, but you know, um, I've, I've kind of the cast on this one are all very classically trained young actors which is quite interesting to work with you know people who were born in this century <laughs> it's like if you ever want to feel old that, that'll do it so yeah they're definitely more you say this you learn the script and you say the script which is good to have as well and you know having one or two people who can improv and fly off as well just to add a little bit more chaos and realism to it how has that changed your process as a director and how you work with your actors yeah it's a it's an interesting one like it's I, I mean I'm the kind of director where I like to kind of sit down with the actor before we start and I it's a thing I, I heard about Tarantino doing once I can't remember what on film but he used the rehearsal process to basically work out the movie that ends when your character steps on screen in this movie so like let's work out their life and I find that to be a really useful technique of just thinking about who this person is, you know, kind of mapping out their life, working out if they've got any interactions with other characters. And then I kind of just like leaving them alone on set. If I can see them floundering or they're kind of losing a little, then, then you know, you have a little chat. But yeah, I kind of like just keeping out of their way and letting them do their thing. And if they're struggling a little, then you kind of can step in and give them a lifeline. But yeah, it, it's not quite the George Lucas faster, more intense style of directing. But, um, I, you know, you hire them because they know what they're doing. So, you know, you kind of go, don't, don't get in their way. Let them do it. I had a question that I was going to jump to, but <laughs> now that you've gone there, I do have to jump ahead to one and then I'll get back to what I was going to ask later. Yep. What is the most common note that you do give? It's not faster, more intense like George Lucas, <laughs> but what would you like if there's a phrase that you say or what's like the most common thing that you're telling your actors when you do have a comment for them? Is there like a note that you're usually like, is there something you're usually going for maybe in your scenes? It's interesting because I mean, a lot of, Emi War especially is a lot like a show I did a couple of years ago that I want to turn into a movie one day and did it as a theater play to see if anyone got it. It was a musical called Werewolf Priest, a musical about a priest who becomes a werewolf set in the 1800s. I'm in. And, <laughs> and uh, Magnus was in that as a, um, uh, an explorer. Because the basic plot was this young priest of this small town that, you know, something's killing villages. He's the one thing keeping them together, but he's also in love with the mayor's daughter. So he's kind of torn there. And then the wrench thrown into that work is that she's going to be engaged to this uh, American explorer 
Edinburgh, who's quite renowned. And um, of course, his plan is to, um, you know, he's actually a giant con man, but then he thinks, hey, if I kill this werewolf, and of course, our priest gets bitten, and he becomes one. And now he's got the guilt of, I'm also now killing the town I'm meant to be protecting. And it's a musical. And... But, you know, having the lead role being a very earnest character who, who is pretty much the straight man of it and then populating him around with wilder characters that kind of go more over the top, I find that kind of works really well. Like, it, it is a bit of a balancing act because I remember some of the reviews for Werewolf Priest were like, this thing has almost every genre and tone achievable and it shouldn't work together, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm doing with Emu War as well, like where, you know, the main character is very, very earnest and definitely believes what he's doing and is very kind of serious in his belief. And we see that chipped away. But then, you know, you do have these wild characters on the outset that he has to win, interact with. And that's where you get a lot of comedy from there. Yeah, as a, a specific note, normally, like with Magnus, sometimes it's take your medication, uh, <laughs> slow down a little. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's there's never a go-to. Like, basically, I know one of the things I always say, you know, is like one more for safety. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get a shot, but, and it'll be good, but just to go, let's just one more for safety because you never know. So that's probably, it's less of a note and more of just a insurance policy, I guess. What's it that Tarantino says? He's always like, that was perfect. One more. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, why? Because we love making movies. I was, I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Speaking of Tarantino, you, you mentioned him earlier and uh, you mentioned that you worked with some of the actors in Stab before. Do you plan to have like a like a cadre of actors that you continue to use in your films? I mean, obviously Magnus. Yep, yeah. Well, uh, Jaden Arts, who was in Everybody Gets Stabbed as the boyfriend, Tom, he's in this. And, you know, I think I think on everything, you know, you kind of find at least one or two new people that you're like, I, I want you back in the next thing. And especially when you, you are writing something, you know, you have these people in, in your head now and you kind of go, I know your voice. I know how you look. I can hear you saying these words and they kind of just subconsciously cast themselves. But yeah, finding a tribe of people is always a great thing. You know, when you kind of find an actor or a crew member or someone that you just love working with, it's the best. And do you find that actors who have a background in theater are generally easier to work with or uh, someone who's used to being in front of the camera? No offense to any any actors out there, just your personal experience. It's definitely different. You know, you, you definitely have, I think with theater, there's more, there's kind of more, more training involved because, you know, you have to do the same performance night after night after night and still be able to find that emotion in you for those points, but also the technical side of it of hitting a mark and being in the right spot and all that kind of thing. So I think with theater trained actors, you, you definitely do get a lot more of the technical side of it when they're younger. And film actors, I think it's a different skill set, but it also works really well. Like, you know, they tell them where to hit their mark, all that kind of thing. I guess the main thing with theater actors is because you are acting, you know, you don't have a close up. So, you know, sometimes they do have to over project. So, you know, you can get it at the back of the theater. Whereas, and that the note there is always, you know, bring it back, bring it back, less is more. But yeah, like there's definitely a difference and it's a different style. But I think if you find a, a even if it's a mix of those people, a good enough group, they will kind of find 
find their natural buoyancy amongst each other as well. And and going back to everybody gets stabbed. Can you talk about some of the things that may have inspired it? I don't want to presume, but I get a hint of scream at the beginning. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, that one, it's definitely scream. I remember rewatching it in about five, six years ago and going, wow, this, this holds up still pretty good. I mean, I think the only thing in it that's funny now is that I think there's a plot point where the police instantly suspect one of the kids as being the murderer because he has a mobile phone. <laughs> that, that's definitely dated that movie. Oh yeah. That aged real well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, one of my go-to comedy things is thinking about a thing before it becomes a thing. Like imagining the process as to how you get to somewhere, I think is, is always quite rare comedy. And, you know, just looking at like these kind of slasher movies where the guy jumps out of the cupboard and just thinking, how long has he been there? <laughs> like, I want to know, that. that's what I want to see. And yeah, and so I, you know, I had this idea for like, you know, doing Scream from the point of view of the killers. I thought would be interesting and funny but then you know me too it was around the time like me too hit and you know just all these awful stories from friends and and all that kind of thing and and at the time I was running like a comedy room so you know there was definitely a few moments of telling people hey I can't book you anymore and I'm not discussing it yeah and I realized like these two stories went together like just the idea that why would two people start killing their friends and I thought entitlement perfect Gamergate and all those kind of things were going on and just kind of it all just fed into it of male entitlement when they haven't actually done anything to earn anything because they just expect it yeah and that's where it all really coalesced that feels unfortunately still very prescient yeah it's not exactly analogous to Gamergate but we talked about it a little bit yesterday when we were doing our recap of the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show and uh, yeah. what's been directed towards Moses Ingram you wish you could just that we could just like be past it yeah but unfortunately you still have to address it and talk about it and I think satire is a great lens to do that yeah is like showing these guys as the absolute doofuses that they really are <laughs> Yeah. And you did such a great job with that with Stabbed. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because, um, yeah, but yeah, the, the Moses Ingram stuff, like, you know, when I kind of woke up and saw that, it was just like, really? Again? Like, you know, I said to a friend, like, I don't even know what their problem is and I don't want to know. <laughs> like, I don't, like just, just don't be racist. Why is that hard today? Yeah, and, and, and there's this weird thing with it as well of like, you know, like, you do know she didn't cast herself. You do know she's not writing her own dialogue and like it's there it's all there for a reason why are you blaming her for everything like and yeah that's the thing that really does my head in where you know like even when you go back to like what happened with armored best and and all that kind of stuff it's like guys he's a 20 year old kid who got asked to be in star wars he's gonna do what he's told why are you angry at him for that you would do the same thing like yeah it's just tiring that it's still a fucking issue these days and like you said it's a lot of entitlement it's uh this yeah. needs to be made like exactly for me it's like just go make your own thing then yeah you know and see how well it does because probably not great like i'm willing no. to bet like dude your ideas are not that great no it's it's gonna be a bunch of white people in a white spaceship and nothing interesting happens <laughs> <laughs> 
spot on. I, I said to a friend tonight, yeah, what would have happened if Twitter existed in 1980 with Billy D. Williams as Lando? Like, <laughs> yeah, it would have exploded. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, though. I mean, it's, and then like people in Star Wars, we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but I mean, it's topical to what we were discussing and it's definitely topical to what we were discussing earlier in the show and to what we like to discuss here on GDT, as I've mentioned. But people like to reference like, oh, look, we love Lando. And again, I saw Gardner, you on Twitter were liking a tweet, maybe even retweeting, I'm not sure. That was like, that's equivalent to being like, oh, I have a black friend, I'm not racist, right? And there's so many things that can be said about, that's just like these people who are bitching about mm. characters like Reva and then going after the actor in racist ways. First of all, having a character who's not white isn't like automatically what like people are like oh they're bringing woke politics into star wars it's like well, how because this person isn't white like it doesn't make any sense yeah <laughs> go outside motherfuckers the outdoors woke yeah seriously and then it's like people will then complain and be like this is just a story about white people like why does there have to be you know like why why does there have to be a diverse cast or whatnot and it's like well that's not like the real world and why do you want to tell a story mm. that's only white people and this that and the other and stuff like that and like we were saying it's really frustrating we've talked about it about a lot of other topics but race is a big one that it's still so prevalent today and that it's still you know topics that are brought up and we just discussed mm. the movie set it off and it brings up a lot of topics like the system yeah. holding down people of color and you know authority figures doing that and it's like wow this seems like they know what they're talking about like 20 years ago like how do they know about the future and it's like no this was happening them motherfucker too and it's just an issue that we haven't resolved yet mm. and it's really frustrating for me at least i don't want to put words into either of your guys mouth but it's frustrating when people are like act like racism doesn't exist like you were saying like earlier we were yeah. saying like this is still an issue today in the star wars fandom in general but then you know people would like to be like i don't you know to get into like american politics mm. for example like trump was a big thing and a lot of people had an issue with trump and i'm not gonna sit here and like demean anyone who did vote for trump or whatever like this or the other we're not getting into that right now but a lot of people who didn't like trump for example were like oh well, i just want trump out of the office so i can go back to not caring about politics and it's like so many people in the world don't have the luxury no to do that politics are ingrained in their everyday life and stuff like that and things like people hating you because of your race and people coming at you because you're like in this massive property should be like the happiest moment of your life for a lot of people at least i mean some people <laughs> would rather act in a different property than star wars i for me at least i that would be one of the coolest things ever because i'm a big star wars fan but it should be like a really happy moment in your life and races online to this day are still making it hard for people so it's just i don't know i needed to get on a little bit of a rant right there know. but it's just so frustrating it is it is and especially when you go like oh you're putting politics into star wars and you're going mother motherfucker the first one was like it's always political like george lucas has said yeah the ewoks is the vietnam war <laughs> the empire is a political system oppressing people and we're rising up to take it take it over like so how did you miss all that but i mean even if you know you, you grew up in the 90s with the prequels half those fucking movies take place in a senate like what are you saying it's not political <laughs> like like that move th those prequels are especially the second and third one are so rooted in post 9-11 george bush world to not notice that is just insane i think it's i think it's a willful ignorance yes and like you said it's wrong because george lucas has been on record as saying it's true too oh yeah but you're right gardner willful ignorance yeah it's like the creator said so you know it's like yeah and we are about death of the author but you can't i mean we also you have to acknowledge the the intent i think mm -hmm. mm. whether or not like you want to read it that way is fine but you can't be like well it's never been there because it is there yeah 
Yeah. And again, you're reading into it right now because there's no, there's nothing political about having a black character, right? Again, this is crazy. And then <sighs> if you have an issue, like if this is a, a tweet that I, that is, that was popular on Twitter, so I'm stealing it. But if Star Wars comes out and all the actors come out and are telling you not to be racist and you have an issue with that, right? Maybe it's time to look in the mirror, right? Why yeah. do you have an issue with someone telling you not to be racist, right? Like Cole is coming from inside the house. <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs> so little Star Wars tangent. I'm glad that um, we were able to have that conversation though, because that's cool that you yeah. are kind of on the same wavelength and uh, know enough about Star Wars to be, you know, know about the topic. Oh, because yeah. me and Gardner are always down to spit a little Star Wars nonsense no matter what yeah you can see it both in my background and Gardner's background I don't know if you can tell but it's a lot of it is Star Wars I am um, I'm friends with an actor and um he's on quite a few shows at the moment and um I shot his self-tape audition for The Force Awakens and uh it was between I think it got down to between him and Oscar Isaac wow and and you know it was it was so insane like we had the moment he opened the email it it set off like a, a timer where there was like 72 hours hours to like read the script shoot it upload the video or it just closes the portal and you're done and i took i remember take i mean i took a photo of the nda and it was like i angled it like the opening crawl <laughs> and like the script itself was i think they were like just henry and john or something like that and none of it is in the film but uh, I, I remember my litmus test for when we got a good take was because i'm reading the other role for him off camera and 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 he's you know looking at me saying you know i've seen you take down tie fighters over the moons of iago i've seen you do that and like my litmus test was when i felt like a 10 year old that was a good take <laughs> Yeah, but um, he didn't get it. But, you know, he also missed out to Oscar Isaac on X-Men Apocalypse, which I feel was probably a good career move. Um, <laughs> Oscar Isaac's career can probably survive sustain that. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, can survive a hit fine. like that. But someone who maybe if that was their first role, you never know, like they could get yeah. like, blamed for it. Who knows? But yeah, not too bad. You know, there's worse actors to lose out on a role to than Oscar yeah. Isaac. I'm sure the actor that you work with is a brilliant actor as well but i mean i'm i'm not saying that one should be picked over the other but you definitely don't feel bad when oscar isaac's picked over you because you know that someone who's yeah. also a good actor got picked it's not like a yeah. crappy actor got picked over you're like well i'm worse than that guy well especially when it comes down to you and him you're kind of like hey you know this isn't i can't be entirely terrible so <laughs> it's got to be pretty validating yeah <laughs> I, I i hate to do this I, i'm loving this conversation right now but i've got to do my day job <laughs> yep if you keep this in, Duncan, listeners, uh, share the podcast a whole lot more. Maybe I will. I'll, I'll be able to quit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. Hell yeah. All right. There we go. I, I was going to have to splice it up, and now we'll keep it in. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Levon, thank you so much. Wonderful to talk to you. Uh, I'm sure you guys are going to finish this conversation. I can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> well, uh, enjoy your uh, day job, uh, the twilling away in the salt mines. Or uh... <laughs> <laughs> Got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I'll talk to you later, Gardner. Farewell. <laughs> so I'm looking through what I have here on Everybody Gets Stabbed, and I don't want to miss anything, but I do think that I have some general questions. And if I mm -hmm. think of anything or if I did miss something that I come to in my notes, I will jump back to Everybody Gets Stabbed because I know that we have no problem talking more about that. 
But since I am going to move on to some general questions, I was wondering if right now, for someone who hasn't seen the film, someone who hasn't been as lucky as Gardner and I to have been exposed to it, but someone who does have the opportunity to, because like we said, it's available on Amazon, rent or buy, and a physical copy, which all those links will be in the description, so you have no excuse not to watch it, but maybe you didn't know about it, so that's your excuse going into this interview. Now you have no excuse. But for someone who's not as lucky as us to have already seen it, what would your pitch to them for the movie be if this interview so far hasn't already sold them, if what I just told them <laughs> didn't sell them? Like, what would you tell them? Like, like, who wants to see this movie? Who's this for? This is, yeah, it's, I mean, I make movies for myself. I just want to, like, you know, you're going to spend a year, two years and a nervous breakdown or two, like making this thing, like, it's got to be for you first and foremost. But, and so if it connects with other people, that's a bonus. And yeah, this one, it's, I, I always call it, it's a stupid movie about two stupid mates who stupidly begin murdering their friends because they think the world owes them something when it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of the pitch. Like, and the, the, the actually the, the title itself came from when I was rewatching Scream and, and I thought, yeah, this, this is easy because everybody just gets stabbed. Like you don't have to have like a TV turn into Freddy Krueger or something like that. That's just really hard to do. You just run around with some knives and that's fine. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's a comedy. It's like, you know, I kind of fight against it being called a horror movie, even though it kind of is. But um, I think first and foremost, it is kind of a dark comedy because that's where my sensibilities lie. Like if I can come up with a dumb joke, I will put that in there. So yeah, if, if you know, you, you want to like relax with a, a, a dark comedy that actually has something to say about the world without it being rammed down your throat, this is probably a good one for you. Well, to reference the movie... I'm a captive audience. <laughs> one of one of the funnier lines in it. In a movie jam packed with something I was not expecting for it to be as funny as it was. But one of the funnier lines to me was that, and that's right <laughs> off the bat. So it hits you from the beginning with very good comedy. It lets you know the tone of the movie right away for sure. So that's cool. Yeah, like that 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 whole scene. Like I, I haven't done it in Emu War, but I normally you know like my first scenes to be big single take things and because i think there's something about it that just kind of helps you get into that world and um i ironically the the best take which is in the film was the one i think it was like about our eighth take and you know you're getting pretty tired because it's a lot of you know setting up and working through these things and it's the take where we kind of went, look, let's just build in a few little points where if we need to, we can cut it. And of course, that becomes the best one when it, when it looks like there's edits and you're like, there's not. It's the, yeah. So. <laughs> well, to all our listeners, and I definitely believe you, now you know from behind the scenes that there is no edits there. It's not a 1917 situation or <laughs> one of those type of films where they, they slice them in and they, they sneak them past you. I thought it was when I watched it, I didn't even notice. I was like, this is a great one take. So it didn't even like the fact that you placed them, the possibility in there didn't even, maybe I'm not a educated movie watcher as much as uh, <laughs> some other people, but for anyone that did notice that there's not any cuts in there. So mm. impressive stuff. 
And I, yeah, I, I love that first uh, opening take. And I think the film works. And for everyone that, like I said, hasn't watched it, definitely take the time. It's you want someone who's worried about longer movies, not one of those. So don't get worried about that. Although I will defend longer movies with my dying breath, I think so. But if you are someone who complains about that. Yeah, it depends on like if the story takes that long to tell, then fine. If we're just watching stuff get padded out, then get a better editor. Uh, like, yeah. So to jump into some of the general questions, and this is something that you referenced when you were talking about everybody gets stabbed, but you said like you like to sit down, give yourself 10 pages to write, you can dick around on Facebook a little bit, do whatever you want, but as long as you get those 10 pages done. So as someone who has dabbled in trying to write certain things and, you know, I can, I know sometimes it's a spur of the moment thing, inspiration strikes and you kind of bang it out. And sometimes it can be a writer's block situation, not even really yeah. writer's block, but a situation where it's really just slogging along and you're trying to find where the story's taking you and it can be a little bit longer. So for you, like 10 pages, how long does that take? It depends. Like, like I said, I'll, I'll sit down at the library and go, I'm not physically leaving this space until I get that done. And that, and if that's in an hour, if that's in eight hours, that's what it is. It's like just getting that discipline in there I found is really useful. And it's also kind of good because because I am such a big structure guy and really plot it out before I flesh it out. You know, you can kind of sit down and go, I don't actually feel like writing this bit today. I'm kind of in the mood for this. And, and that helps. That's kind of really useful because you're not writing sequentially. Um, you can kind of go, I actually, I think I know how to write the ending right now. And for me as well, the thing that I find also very useful is film scores. Just, you know, if you find something that's the same mood as what you're trying to write and because it doesn't have lyrics, you don't have that distraction. So you can kind of just let it be this background mood that kind of gets you in that headspace. And um, yeah, and, and like I said, if I can do that two or three times a week when I'm writing, I, I can have that script done in, you know, three or four weeks. And yeah, and like I said, you just never get to the end and then edit. Don't stop and go back while you're working on it. And there'll be moments you're writing and just going, I know this is shit, but <laughs> just get through the scene, just, just get to the end and then fix it later. So, wow. Okay. So sometimes though, it can get up to like an eight hour session there. Yeah. Yeah. You have some of those marathon sessions. Yeah. But I, I think it's just, you know, that discipline of just going, I mean, you know, it might not work for some people, but for me, that just over the years, that's what I found is just the way that works for my brain is to, you know, get out of the house, sit down somewhere else and just have nothing, you know, none of the, oh, hey, I'm going to go play with a cat. I'm going to go, oh yeah, I really should fix that dripping tap or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like you're just there to do one thing. So so that's perfect time. I usually ask this as one of the final questions, but I'm going to bring it a little bit to the forefront here because you kind of are giving some great advice for people. I know I'm going to use the idea of making sure, and this is something that other people have said too, so you're in good company when you say this <laughs> to other people agree with you that planning out the story beats is a good idea. And I think that will help me like, for example, writing out, like if I get stuck on a scene right now, the way I write, I'm stuck on that scene and then I'm stuck on the story because I can't yeah. get to the next scene yet because I don't know what the next scene is until I finish this one. So yeah. if I have that beat written out, if I have all the story beats written out, or if someone, I'm saying I, because I know I'm personally trying to write certain things, but all of our listeners, yeah. anyone who's trying to write can do this and can learn from that. 
and can then write the ending, like you said, instead of focusing on what they're up to sequentially right now. But yeah. so going off of that, and you've already given some great advice, but for an aspiring filmmaker, someone who has written something already, let's say, and is going to film it themselves, something you've done, something a lot of our interviewees have done as well that we've had on in the past. And what we like to ask people is if I have decided to do that so i've already decided to just go do it because that's what everyone likes to say just do it right mm -hmm. and so that's good advice because i think a lot of people need to get past that hurdle but so if someone has already decided to do it they want to do it they've got a script they want to film it they don't have a lot of money what would your advice be to them to get it done to just do it how do they get it done I think, yeah, and going back to the just get it done, because, I mean, it, having a thing done is better than never having done it, even if it's terrible, because would you rather be, you know, 85 years old going, I know, I wish I did that, or would you rather be 85 years old going, yeah, well, you know, I did that thing, like, you know. But, yeah, in terms of just doing it, like, part of, like, writing when I wrote Stabbed was just thinking in terms of what have I got, you know, what, what have I got access to? And so writing that story in a way that could be done for next to nothing was very important. And, you know, I mean, you, you, you always write one or two things that are going to make your life difficult for yourself because the scene in the theater, I staged a play in there and I was like, oh yeah, because I know exactly how I can run through this place and do all this stuff. So then it was like, I need this damn theater because no other one is going to work that way. But yeah, just, you know, if you've crafted something that's doable, just find people like, you know, there, there are people out there like, you know, you're always going to have like actors who, you know, people will, who will turn around and go, well, I only work on paid stuff. And you go, well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Like, I think just being upfront with people and going, look, this is deferred payment or, you know, a profit split kind of thing. I think, you know, there are people out there who realize, well, I want stuff for my show reel. I want to be able to learn something. And, and the way I always look at things when I'm helping out friends are is, well, okay, well, I'm not getting paid, so that's fine. But am I going to get to do something cool out of this? Am I going to get something that uh, am I going to kind of work this piece of equipment or get to do this thing or something like what, what value am I going to get out of this? And stop, I think, attaching dollar signs to value is a good thing to do is to kind of divorce those two things as separate things. And like really, you know, if you're hesitating and if you're not sure if you're going to do it, you know, I'm definitely at wavering around on that place with Emu War as well at the moment is just like, you know, have I made a dreadful mistake in starting this? Um, like, oh God, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do this? But, you know, I, I think you, you can spend your life getting ready and you never will be ready. And sometimes you just need to pull you just need to kind of pull that trigger and go for it because the only thing stopping you is you a lot of the time and sheer force of will does actually achieve a lot of things and you're going to find people and I, I, I'm also someone who thrives creatively under pressure like when when things go wrong it's good because <laughs> you know you, you can you can either have a meltdown and scream at people or you can go okay I've got half an hour to do this what am I going to do like get creative work something out yeah so I think don't and also just don't be afraid to get it wrong like it's fine nothing you know it's not the end of the world like if if you, you, you make a movie and it doesn't turn out well yes it is devastating but also so what you made a movie you've hopefully learned from it and you apply that to the next one just keep going thank you i think that you know great advice and good insight for our audience members that are interested <laughs> in making their own stuff and you know also a little selfishly good advice for myself so i appreciate it on oh, a personal level as well to jump back to a little bit more about yourself and your process i was curious 
how many stories do you have ideas for at a time? Are you working on just one at a time or do you have like a couple that you're thinking about writing the script for? Yeah, I've always got something, you know, a bunch of things rattling around in my head. Yeah, like I, I, I think for me, like it just helps knowing, well, I can work on this thing one day and I can work on that thing another day, you know, whatever kind of feels important or, you know, inspiring at that point. Also, I just kind of feel like if you do have something that hits or and, and you know, you get the opportunity to talk to someone of power, you kind of want to have more than one idea to throw at them. <laughs> like... I just feel like, well, you know, if I get stuck in an elevator with James Cameron, I don't want to just have one thing and him be like, I don't like that. And you're like, okay, well now, now this is an awkward moment stuck in the elevator together. So yeah, I, I always have a bunch of things rattling around. One of my practical effects guys kind of had this vague idea for a movie that we've been throwing back and forth, you know, in Messenger and and that very well could be the next thing I do. It might not be. Yeah, I find I'm just too scatterbrained that I need a bunch of things at the same time. But, you know, when it kind of gets into making something, yeah, yeah I try and focus down as much as I can. But, you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. I think that's probably common with screenwriters in general that there's more than one idea percolating at a time so mm. you're probably not alone in that yeah no i was just saying and i mean that that was in a way like the a, a blessing of the lockdown was just actually having time to go okay let's have a look at a couple of these ideas that have been floating around that i've just haven't had time to think about and now i do so that was good i mean aside from all the horror but <laughs> yeah so going off of you said that someone you worked with had an idea and you guys are now that might be the next one is directing someone else's screenplay that they themselves wrote something that you would ever do or do you feel like in order for you to be more invested in the project you feel like it needs to be more of like your baby itself yeah it's an interesting one um because pretty much everything i've done has been my own stuff except for i did a play in 2018 that was almost completely musical like with very little spoken word and it had been staged in malaysia and um, this was its first international staging and i took that on as a challenge to work with someone else's script and also he wanted to rewrite it as well so that was kind of quite good to be involved in in it that way and yeah I, I think I would love to like just do something that's not mine because you kind of I know when I write stuff I'm thinking about how I'd make it and also thinking about you know how I'd pull it off you know as a producer so I'm kind of thinking all of in those terms but yeah it would be fun to kind of play with someone else's words and see what happens so you it seems like at least clearly love satire and it seems like in everybody gets stabbed that comes across obviously we talked about scream already that itself is a satire do you have comedy influences or maybe even specifically like a satirist i don't know but any just comedy influences because like i said earlier very funny movie from the get-go yeah like i've always loved comedy you know I've, I've directed quite a lot of comedy like stand-up shows and you know manage comedy rooms and things like that and worked with a lot of comedians so yeah I definitely and you know the, the the shows I'm drawn to are ones that do have a message or do have a theme because I remember when a, a friend first asked me to direct this comedy show I was like what do I do I don't, I don't know what that is and I realized it's the exact same thing it's kind of going well what's the theme what's our structure and just 
just making sure he stayed on that uh, you know like even if he had a really great joke that wasn't on topic it'd be like well we've, we've either got to find a way to fit it in to to make it fit in with everything else you're saying or it's out so yeah just that that comic sensibility of just you know knowing how that's put together and and i'm definitely drawn towards the absurdism side of things like you know bobcat goldthwaite i, I love as a comedian gilbert gottfried norm mcdonald and you know i used to do a show a live show hosted by a uh, manic depressed talking laptop called mac the comedy computer and um it was a variety show and i do it at fringe so they'd be because we have like the third biggest fringe festival in the world here and um i'd throw it on it would basically be this literally just an old 1997 apple ibook that would talk in a Stephen King kind of text-to-speech kind of voice, completely unpunctuated and just rambling incoherently. And then there'd be guests like either comedians or burlesque dancers or, or magicians or whatever. And I, the first time I did it, I had 10 shows. So on a Friday and a Saturday night, so a five-week run, and I set myself the goal of writing every single show new. So it was two hours of material a week, and it was insane, but also it was really good to kind of just learn how to write fast and and how to put together videos and all this kind of crazy stuff and yeah like the show was an absolute blast and i kind of missed doing it but yeah just the release of just absurdism and and having a room full of people who maybe didn't quite realize that i was being serious when i said it's hosted by a laptop that you know the, you're seeing a show hosted by a laptop and just watching people's brains break from the back of the room was always just an absolute joy and that's definitely always been there in you know just that subversive kind of satirical kind of absurdist humor yeah i can't you know sometimes depending on what i'm doing i have to kind of rein that in a little and go eh, it's not really the place for that but um, other times it's exactly what is needed to make something better so yeah and earlier this is not necessarily about writing or comedy this is more about the directing aspect of it but Earlier, you were talking about zooms, for example, and mm -hmm. having like a close-up shot and how that affects when you're working with someone who's trained for theater, for example, and the, you know, overacting, which is good in theater, obviously, and it's what they're used yeah. to, not necessarily overacting in a bad way, it's just what they're used to, but you know, you can bring it back for film. So yeah. this is a little bit of a side question relating to that is when you're deciding on a shot, for example, like when you're deciding, okay, this is going to be a close up of this person's face. This is where I came up with the question. This is where I was thinking mm -hmm. of when you were talking about the zoom. So how do you come up with that kind of stuff? How do you decide you've said that you want the opening shot in emu war to be a long take just like the opening shot in everybody gets stabbed so that's a decision then also like things like blocking and stuff like that how do you decide on stuff like that and what a scene's going to look like and how much is that your decision individually and with no other help i guess yeah it's it's um i mean sometimes like i'll know exactly how i want something to look the moment i write it I'm like you know i know exactly what this shot needs to be other times you know you, you kind of you, you're on a location and you're like well that's not gonna work here <laughs> like you know um uh we, we we were shooting at this um 
quite an amazing location. It was this railway museum and they've got all these, you know, like 150 years of rail carriages and that they've restored and done up. And, and I needed a train traveling out to the outback and, you know, finding a real period specific train that still runs is, is rather difficult. And, um, so, you know, you, you kind of get creative with, you know, a train that's stationary and and only one carriage and making that look like, you know, eight. And, you know, you, you, I like to allow myself, like I like to go in with a plan, but I also like to give myself freedom to riff on the spot. Like I, I think part of how it works for me at least is if if you know in your head what the movie is about and what the theme is, that's going to inform all of your decisions subconsciously. And even consciously, that gives you that little like kind of litmus test to hold up against something and going like you know does this fit with what this film's trying to say and also just knowing and even if even if you kind of go in going I don't actually know how I want to shoot this scene but I know the style of the movie that's a big help as well because you can kind of just work that out then because you go like well I know the rules of this movie are like like with Emu War we're, we're kind of doing something interesting where it's shot as if it was shot in 1932 so thinking in terms of well that's a lot of locked off shots a lot of you know thinking in terms of you know four by three framing black and thinking in terms of how to look in black and white and stuff so you go well that kind of means handhelds out and and you know you, you you think in those terms of what those constraints are and you know even if you're at a location where you can't do what you want to do as long as you've got that in the back of your head you really you, you can wing it to a degree <laughs> Because I, th I think it's also a, a lesson someone taught me a long time ago was no one watching a movie knows what it was going to be. No one knows that you wanted this to happen and you couldn't get it because that didn't work or, or you know, you were meant to shoot somewhere else entirely or whatever. No one watching it will ever know that. They're just watching the movie. So keep that in mind as well. Like, yeah. I never thought about that, but I really like that sentiment a lot. Mm. That's that's smart. It's a good way to think about it if you're like stressing about something while you're making your film. Yeah. I like that. So I have just a couple more questions. I yep. apologize for keeping you so long, but this one, next one should be pretty short. We did talk about you squirting the blood on your <laughs> actors while filming, and I mentioned I had a question relating to that, and everybody gets stabbed. So no spoilers, but there is a scene where someone ejaculates. And I was wondering if you were the one spraying that. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, I figured. Yeah, that was a very interesting Google search history about how to make that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it, it's also like I used a lot of like syringes, obviously without the needle bit on it, but those are great for getting a good squirt. It's always weird, you know, going into like a pharmacy and feeling like they're going to think you're a junkie and like going, I need to buy some syringes. And then you got to go, it's for a movie, I swear. And you go, wait, is that what a junkie would say? But... <laughs> <laughs> that's what a murderer would say yeah exactly <laughs> oh no that's what a, that's what a racist would say right that's what yeah, the beginning yeah. everybody gets stabbed <laughs> yeah and i mean you know part of it's the you know i'm the only one around so someone's got to do it but also there's a little bit of revenge involved of like ah oh, you're you're a pain to nail down in a schedule you know <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna really get you in the face with this stuff like <laughs> So now for our 
wrap-up questions that are a little more hard-hitting than that one, but still pretty soft. Not important questions, but not anything hard-hitting like I was just saying. But you made a trailer for a movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> and you were kind enough to share that with us here at GDT. So I was wondering if you could tell our audience a little bit about that. Yeah, that was um, an idea. It kind of came from a, a friend of mine who said he read a book that the theory was that Jesus traveled to India and learned, you know, because there's this, the Bible goes from being like, I think 12 to 30. And it's like, that's kind of a gap of, you know, important things probably happened then. And <laughs> And yeah, I was just fascinated by that idea. And of course, my instinct was, well, that should be like a 1970s Kung Fu movie. So yeah, we kind of just came up with this idea of let's just make a trailer for that. And yeah, and so we kind of just shot it in a weekend. And, and you know, funnily enough, like, you know, talking about forced creativity, there is only one Kung Fu guy in that trailer. We were, I'd organized 10 to turn up and one did. And, uh, you know, I just had that moment of, okay, what's my solution? And I'm like, split screen, do it old school. Just the Sesame Street gag of everyone running out from behind a tree and yeah, just like get creative. And uh, yeah, that was just a lot of fun. Like, you know, I, I did write a script for it. If it ever became a movie, I don't know what death kind of death threats I'd get for making that movie. <laughs> but yeah, I just love the idea of kind of turning Jesus going to India into some Kung Fu Bollywood movie and calling it Hindu Jedi Jesus which was just, it's a great name yeah it was one of those silly titles that i just kind of wrote down and just kept coming back to it going that just has a yeah it was same as actually same as everybody gets stabbed it was like the description you go ah that actually sums it up so and now if you're ever in that elevator with james cameron and he likes the title of the movie you have something to show him yeah exactly it's <laughs> perfect so that does lead us now to our final question, which we do like to ask all of our guests, mm -hmm. which is, is there another independent filmmaker that we here on GDT and our audience should check out? Someone that maybe you would like to shout out their work? Yeah, um, there's a guy, he's, um, I actually went to school with him and um, he ended up becoming a filmmaker as well. A guy named Nathan Mewitt, he works a lot with an indigenous filmmaker named Curtis Taylor. They co-direct a lot of things. Uh, they recently did a film called uh, Jedi, which was about this, and I know they want to turn it into a feature, but it was about this guy who, I think it was around the 70s, he was a bare-knuckle boxer uh, up north in Broome, an in indigenous guy who, you know, would just basically get pulled into bare-knuckle boxing fights, which, you know, were probably racially motivated in a way, but he kept winning. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what it's on. I know it's been in a few festivals and, and things like that. It might be around on Vimeo or whatever, but yeah, they're definitely two guys who've made some really, really cool stuff and um, worth checking out if you can. Awesome. Thank you. We do appreciate that. We love hearing about new filmmakers that we haven't heard of before, obviously mm. not new to us, I should say, because yeah. a lot of these filmmakers that we've heard of have been around for a while and have been making stuff for a long time. And we are just now yeah. hearing about them, which is what, you know, why we like to ask the question because it's great. Yeah, that's no, a good question. To 
learn about for us and our audience. But again, it's we're being selfish. We do. It's a, a lot of it is just beneficial for us as the hosts because we get to learn more and we get to, like I said, yeah. have these great discussions with filmmakers like yourself, which I really want to thank you for stopping by today. Oh, no, thank you. I know that Gardner had to leave a little bit early, but he thanks you as well. And I think that our audience is going to really appreciate the insight you gave. And then I know they'll want to watch everybody get stabbed. And then we will be blasting that Kickstarter <laughs> out for Emu War. So everyone can check that out because Wonderful. it's going to be awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. We love, we love having you on. <laughs> But is there anywhere that you want to shout out for people to follow you? I know that you have your Twitter and we're going to link your Twitter in the description. But do you want to shout that out now and anywhere else as well? Yeah, I'm pretty much at LevonJP on everything. And uh, I know uh, I've got Emu War. I think it's Emu War Movie on Instagram and Twitter as well. Because yeah, that was one thing when the Cleese version was announced. I very quickly snapped up every Emu War handle on every platform ah, I could. Very uh, smart. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm LevonJP on everything. Instagram, Twitter. My production company's called Catface Productions. That's around. But yeah, those are the spots. Awesome. Perfect. So like I said, those will be linked in the description, but you just heard it here. So check them out. And if you follow Levon there on all his social medias, he'll be posting just like we will be about the Kickstarter and you'll be able to follow along for Emu War and whatever else comes up next, because I know we'll yeah. be following along with excitement here on GDT. Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. So thanks again for stopping by. Thanks for having me. <laughs> There you have it, folks. That was our interview with Levon J. Polinelli. Again, huge thank you to him for coming by, staying for two hours to talk to us. And it was really more than two hours because we talked a little bit beforehand and afterwards. So really great guy. We appreciate him coming by. We are fans of his work. And he gave a lot of great answers, a lot of insight into his process, what's coming up next, what he's done in the past, and a lot of good advice as well. So if you're interested in any of that shit, you were just treated right there yeah seriously i um for the for the part of the conversation that i was there for i was having an absolute blast levon i mean just what a good guy and if you haven't gone and checked out everybody gets stabbed by now you absolutely should because it's so funny i really really am looking forward to emu war go back his kickstarter uh if you can spare the cash because I think that's going to be a really fun film as well. To Levon personally, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know I enjoyed that conversation. I wish I could have stuck around for the entire thing, but, you know, duty calls. And um, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yes, again, thank you to Levon. We hope to have him back on for both a spoiler-filled conversation about Everybody Gets Stabbed once you, our audience, gets the chance to watch it. We gave you a little bit of leeway here. We figured some of you, if not most of you, wouldn't have had the chance to watch it yet. And we talked about that in the interview, so you heard that. But we're giving you a chance to watch it now. We're going to talk about it in the future, hopefully, if Levon agrees. A spoiler-filled discussion of Everybody Gets Stabbed, as well as when Emu War comes out. We want to discuss that as well. So hopefully a future recurring guest will Levon be. But again, thank you to him. And also, thank you to you, our listeners, as well. Thank you to our new listeners, as well as our recurring listeners. We appreciate all of you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. Thank you, if you are a recurring listener, for checking out our past episodes and wanting to stick around for this one as well. And hopefully, if you're a new one, this got you intrigued and you want to check out more. So we hope that we've convinced you to check out more of our stuff. 
If you liked this interview, we have so many more interviews that you should check out. I can't even name all the people that we've talked to because they're all amazing and I don't want to leave anyone out. So just check it out. Every Friday, we have one of those. Everyone is somewhat involved in the filmmaking process, but we have all different aspects. Filmmakers, artists, cast members, stuff like that. We need to get a little more into the crew for sure. We could delve more into that, Gardner. I think we could use that as a little bit of um, diversity in the filmmaking jobs that we could interview, but we're trying our best. I would love that. Yeah, we're doing our best to get every aspect of it. And like I said, if you appreciated this one, you'll love some of the past ones. So go check out all of our interviews. And if you're not into interviews, we have something for you. Like I said, four episodes a week, the interview episode on top of three bonus episodes, and then one Sunday Movie Squad episode a month. So if you're into Marvel, we have those Tuesday episodes for you. If you want to know about our short film, those Monday episodes are for you. If you like Star Wars, we have currently the Kenobi episodes that are dropping every Thursday. So that's perfect for you. And if you're not into any of that, then hopefully when the Kenobi episodes are done, you'll like the relevant stuff that we do after that on Thursdays. So stick around for more. Like I said, we have something for everyone. Hopefully you're either into the indie stuff or you're into the Marvel stuff, or maybe you're into both. I know I am. So that's what we do here, I know I went over all in detail at the beginning of the pod, so if you missed it, go check it out. That goes over what we do, but you can also just check out all of our past episodes and we talk about what we do on those as well. So, like I said, check out our past episodes, stay tuned for future episodes, and if you want to never miss one, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on all the free ones. Ladies and gentlemen, we are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's right, you can find us anywhere by searching the letters G D. T, and then you can subscribe to us and you'll never miss an episode. And if you're feeling really kind, you can also leave a five-star review. It doesn't take a lot of time and it helps us out a lot. And it makes us feel good. So if you're feeling really nice, like I said, five-star reviews go a long way. We read them all. We appreciate them. But subscribe. That'll be helpful for you. The review is for us. Anyway, stay tuned for those. Like I said, you'll never miss an episode if you subscribe to us. But if you want to keep even more up to date with us, check us out on social media. We're available on Instagram and Twitter at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast, where we post all of our episodes. And like I said, if you really never want to miss one, that's the best place to be. But they'll be sent to your phone if you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or I want to emphasize this, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So find us there, GDT. Hopefully, if you're listening to this right now, you already know where to find us, but maybe you don't. So there it is. That's where to find us online on the podcasting platforms. That's what we do. Stay tuned. That's all for this episode. I know it was a long one, but it was a great one. And again, thank you to Levon for sticking around. We will talk to you again tomorrow on Saturday. Thank you for tuning in, folks. As always, we love you, and we'll see you on the next one.